Last question of the lightning round. When was the last time you smoked marijuana? Jagmeet Singh. Well, I mean, I would love to give it like a trailblazing answer right now, but I just don't do any drugs. I haven't drank or smoked in my life, so never. Uh, university. Uh, I wasn't an economist, unlike what Charlie thinks, at the university I was in communications. Uh, I just never took a liking to it. Uh, to be honest, it actually gives me headaches. So, yeah. Nikki Ashton. Well, I'll say that where I come from, uh, there's a lot of people that smoke marijuana, and I do a lot of door knocking and, and uh, well, hanging out with friends. So if that counts uh, uh, secondhand smoke, then maybe more recently than, uh, um, than, than a long time ago. Oh, <laughs> Charlie Angus. Well, I toured many years with the band, uh, but I was... <laughs> HuffPost Canada's NDP debate, the last chance to see and hear the candidates square off before the first ballot results of the race are unveiled on Sunday. It was quite the evening as I moderated the exchange between contenders Charlie Angus, Jagmeet Singh, Guy Caron, and Nikki Ashton. I'm Althea Raj, and welcome to this bonus episode of Follow Up, HuffPost Canada's politics podcast. As far as political events go, it was pretty fun. We brought together a live audience of university students, HuffPost journalists, and a few special guests to grill the NDP leadership rivals on everything from climate change to whether they think Donald Trump is a fascist. Here's a replay of the debate. Enjoy. breaking their promises one after the other. We need a leader in the House who will stand up for our jobs, for our industry. You can build a fair society that's not based on blaming other minorities, religious or otherwise. There's so much to change in Parliament. There's so much to change in the attitude that we have. Aguy, I've got enormous respect for you, but I haven't seen anything in your plan about Indigenous people and First Nations. We need to have an actual climate change plan, which you don't have, Nikki. We, as New Democrats, can form government if we are progressive. You should be a candidate with the intent of rechanging the way things go. It's not just about the next election. We need to build a movement for fundamental change. Hi, I'm Althea Raj, and welcome to HuffPost Canada's NDP Leadership Debate. Well, for months now, the candidates have been pounding the pavement, and voting has already begun to select Thomas Mulcair's successor. This is basically the candidates' last chance to convince you to vote for them before the final, or first ballot, results are announced on Sunday. You never know with politics. Um, joining us for the next hour or so in our Toronto studio are Ontario MP Charlie Angus. Hello, Mom. <laughs> Ontario MPP Jagmeet Singh. Hi, Mom and Dad. <laughs> Quebec MP Guy Caron. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and Manitoba MP Nikki Ashton, who joins us from Skype in Ottawa. Hello, everybody. We will have the English debate first, followed by a shorter section in French. The questions that are going to be asked tonight come from our readers, the HuffPost newsroom, some special guests, our live audience, and of course you who are watching on Facebook Live. So please join the social conversation using the hashtag NDPLDR. Okay, we'll get right to it. 
Candidates for this first round, you have 45 seconds to answer. And then we'll open it up to a two-minute debate. Okay. Candidates, what do you think you can do as NDP leader that nobody else on stage or on Skype is equipped to do as well and why? Nikki Ashton, we'll start with you. Well, first, I want to say that I think every one of the candidates on the stage uh, brings something dynamic to this race. But our campaign has made it clear from the beginning that in order for us to build towards 2019 and beyond, we need a bold, progressive platform, something that we've put forward in this campaign. And we need to work with movements on the ground, activists, community leaders, social movements. That is the way we're going to move forward. Our campaign has been very clear on both of those fronts. There's, there's a hunger out there amongst our membership, and I would say amongst many Canadians, to have an NDP that truly stands for principles. And of course, we believe it's important that we are in touch and, and working with people on the ground. Charlie Angus, your turn. I think one of the things that I've seen on this tour across Canada, the incredible goodness, uh, resourcefulness of the Canadian people, but people have been disconnected from politics. Uh, we have to bring the voice of ordinary people back into the heart of social democracy. This cannot be run out of a war room. It cannot be run out of a small leader's office. We have to democratize our base. Otherwise, there's no role for social democratic movement. Otherwise, we're just like other parties. And I've always been rooted in the grassroots, and I'm more and more and more convinced of the necessity of listening to people who are being written off the political and economic map of this nation, because their point of view should be driving our agenda. Jack Singh. Well, I agree that we all have, we have some incredible candidates. Every candidate here could be an incredible leader and an incredible prime minister. What I bring to the table is engaging new people. We've reached out to new, new members and created new members that have never been involved, not in just the NDP, but any political party. We've inspired people to join the party, to join the movement across Canada. We've opened up two campaign offices to show that we don't just talk about grassroots mobilization, we're actually doing it on the ground. We've engaged thousands of new volunteers, hundreds of organizers, and we're building a movement actually on the ground. That's what we need to do to inspire uh, the progressive change we want. We need to be in a position of power to do that. I'd say two things. Uh, the first one is the ability to win in Quebec. We were able to get a big breakthrough in 2011 because we got 59 members, members of parliament in Quebec, which actually helped to win seats all across the country. And we need to be able to do the same thing. And you can do it by understanding the way that Quebecers think, the way that you can actually unite Quebecers with, uh, with the rest of the country. And this is something I can bring. But also the fact that for 50 years, liberals and conservatives have painted us as being tax and spend party, a party that doesn't know how to manage, which is false. But with the work I've done, with my background, with my experience, I, I'm able to bring that economic credibility for the NDP that will help us gain the trust of Canadians. Okay, basically you have two minutes to rebut each other's point. Free for all, go for <laughs> well, it. Well, I agree with everyone, so can I go? No. Uh, I think we've got to look at what's happening elsewhere in this social democratic world, in the United States, uh, but in England with UK at Labour, the push to have the grassroots actually be part of the decision making of the party is is a radical transformation and it's going back to the roots and we got away from that and that's why we lost in 2015 because we weren't talking to our people we were talking about them yeah i agree that one Quebec of the things is incredibly... that i was also going to mention was the importance of reaching out to millennials you know we've talked about uh, the fact that in the next election the largest voting block in canada will be the millennial generation my generation uh, we're facing unprecedented levels of inequality and, of course, the threat of global climate change. Uh, and the NDP needs to be tuning into that reality, the reality that young people are facing in terms of 
precarious work in terms of high student debt. And we need to be putting forward bold ideas like free tuition. Uh, we need to be putting forward bold ideas like standing up to big oil. And, uh, and that's how I think we're going to be uh, relevant uh, and, and successful going into 2019 and beyond. Key, I think you have a phenomenal plan for Quebec, and I really uh, am inspired by your kind words around uh, the the other kind of voices in Quebec. I, I think that it's imp incredibly important that we actually do work on the ground, and that's why our team signed up a thousand, uh, fifteen hundred new members in Quebec. I think it's more important that we just don't talk about the importance of Quebec, but we're on the ground and actually engaging new membership in Quebec. I agree, and this is what we'll need to do. I mean. What's interesting here is that we don't disagree on this, it's very obvious, and we don't disagree because we complement each other very well. We have strengths and weaknesses that, that basically if you put all the four of us in, in, in a package, you would get the ideal leader, and that I strongly believe. <laughs> It doesn't uh, work that way, though. It doesn't work that way. I'd love for it we, to we work that try. way. But, well, well, it does, because a leader can bring together all the attributes of the team and put those forward, and Absolutely. that's what I'm going to do as a leader. Well, and this is what, what we'll all do as leaders. <laughs> All right, so for this next round, we're basically going to take a closer look at each of your platforms. So I'm going to ask you a direct question. You will have 45 seconds to answer, and then we'll open it up for a two-minute debate where the others can jump in, you can jump in, you can talk about your own plan or criticize each other, whatever. We're going to start with Nikki Ashton. In the 2015 election, several NDP candidates were turfed because of their past criticism of Israel. Your support for Palestinian prisoners on hunger strike has been denounced by the Jewish advocacy group B'nai B'rith Canada. You say Canada must return to what you've called a traditional, balanced position on the Middle East. Can you tell us specifically how your approach to the Middle East would differ from the Trudeau government? Well, I would say, first of all, it's been very important for me to talk about the importance of the NDP uh, speaking out on uh, the need for justice and peace in Palestine. And we've been too quiet for too long. And of course, as you pointed out, a number of our candidates were turfed for simply being uh, uh, outspoken on this issue. That needs to stop. We need to be standing up clearly uh, for, uh, for peace and justice in this part of the world. Our campaign has, has talked about the importance of, of uh, clearly calling out illegal occupation, uh, looking at uh, the application of uh, 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 boycotts, sanction and, uh, and divestment, uh, and working in solidarity with activists here in Canada, not just Palestinian, but allies as well, uh, who believe Sorry, strongly. Nikki, we cut you off because you went over time, but maybe you can jump into this two-minute debate. So, the floor is open. Well, I have been the one MP to speak about the boycott in Parliament because I believe it's a citizen's right to participate in boycotts. As far as the party position goes, I want the party to be playing a role as a broker with Israel and with Palestine. And we have to step up our game on that aspect because Canada hasn't been doing that for a number of years. We have to reestablish credibility with both sides to us and with our allies internationally to move towards a two-state solution. These are really for, important issues. Yeah, for, for 10 years, once Stephen Harper was a prime minister, we actually yell to the world that Stephen Harper was not Canada and Canada was not Stephen Harper. I do believe this is the case for Israel as well. We can't reduce Israel to Netanyahu and the Likud and the policy. So we need to find allies in Israel that will work hand in hand with the allies that we have in Gaza and the West Bank as well. And we have done amazing work in, in building those bridges, especially with Paul Dewar and Hélène Laverdière. And we need to do that work so that we can work constructively towards a peaceful solution with Israeli allies who will be fighting Netanyahu and with our, our Palestinian allies. In the provincial parliament, I was the only 
a parliamentarian in Ontario that spoke out uh, when the Conservatives brought forward an anti-BDS movement or anti-BDS motion. And I made it clear that there is a very real threat of anti-Semitism that we need to denounce in all of its forms. But we can't conflate the criticism of a government's policies, a particular government's stance, with anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is real, we need to denounce it, mm -hmm. but we also need to make sure we stand up for uh, the human rights violations that are ongoing in Palestine and talk about the self-determination for the people of Palestine, but also never forget that both communities uh, in Israel and in Palestine need to be able to exist with peace, harmony, respect, and dignity. There are, there are Israelis who are fighting right now against uh, the illegal occupation. Absolutely. They are fighting for a two-state solution. We need to be able to find them and work with them, and we need to ensure that they will be willing to actually work with our Palestinian allies. That's the, the, the role that we can constructively play in the Middle East. Thank you. And, and I think the NDP needs to be outspoken on this. Sorry, Nikki, maybe you can come back into this other part. But <laughs> switching gears, Charlie Angus, your turn. You've called the Liberal plan to meet the Paris climate targets half-hearted. Yet your platform does not spell out clear climate targets and you haven't ruled out new pipelines. Mm. You want a National Carbon Budget Council to set targets and you suggest a new Crown Corporation to invest in green infrastructure projects. What do you say to new Democrats who, mind that, who might find that to be more talk and not enough action? Well, actually, the one issue that I brought forward is the need to legislate the limits. Uh, I don't know how we think we're going to get anywhere internationally if we don't actually put a legal limit on the production of carbon. Uh, look at Sudbury. Sudbury never, INCO never cleaned up Sudbury by voluntary standards and we've had voluntary promises uh, year after year and the Liberals own accords say they will not meet the international obligations. So we have to limit it now. And, we, and the reason we have to start the, a, a National Carbon Budget Council is we look at the UK where they take uh, the mandate to establish the limits and start to, 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 to make it happen. So we have, this is the crisis of our age, so it has to be done through legislation right off the top. The challenge that we have is really to ensure that the, the shift, the, the fight that we'll be leading against climate change is not uh, putting undue burden on the workers. Every time that there is a major revolution taking place in the economy, workers are paying the price for it. So yes, I, I do think that we need to be aggressive. This is why I'm calling for a $100 carbon tax that will be eventually raised even more so, and that can be done because Sweden is actually moving in that direction. But ensuring that we have a just transition plan that will make sure that workers are not the one who are paying the price, that they can be retrained, that they can, uh, they can actually benefit from an economic security that uh, otherwise will, will make them the losers in this, and that will not be helping the fight that we have to lead against climate change. There's no but doubt that we can't have... it's really important that we also be very clear with Canadians um, where we stand on pipelines. Uh, you know, our campaign has made it clear. If we're talking about respecting the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, if we're going to talk about meeting our climate change commitments, uh, we cannot support the new pipelines that are being proposed. It's simply not on. And, uh, you know, our, we've seen throughout our campaign taking a principled stance uh, is something that people want to see. Young people, and not uh, activists, people that are concerned about their communities across this country, Indigenous and non-Indigenous. And so, yes, it's important to have a comprehensive platform, but I think we also need to be very clear about where we stand on pipeline. It's really clear that we can achieve the envir environmental justice that we need to achieve without ensuring there's, that there's economic justice. At the same time, when we talk about framing of climate change, we often talk about protecting the environment for future generations. Looking at the severe weather incidences that are occurring right now, when we talk about fighting climate change and protecting the environment, it's not a question of the future. It's a question of the present, of right now. How can we protect the, the environment? Jagmeet Singh. 
Your plan targets old age security, a hugely popular program. Basically, you want to means test it, meaning you want to scrap benefits for wealthier Canadians so that you can give more to poorer Canadians. You Democrats are known for supporting universal social program. If you feel that the people who can afford to pay more should, why not means test other programs like healthcare? So I'm firmly opposed to any sort of detracting from universal, socially, publicly delivered programs. I fully believe in them and I want to expand them. With respect to OAS, just to make it absolutely clear, I want to expand OAS. Take the existing program and add more money into it. That's what I'm proposing. Taking, getting rid of Harper era boutique credits and injecting that money into OAS. OAS as it stands right now is already based on income. I'm not changing that. I'm simply asking for us to put more money into it to lift seniors out of poverty. Right now in Canada, there's 600,000 seniors that live in poverty. To me, in a country as wealthy as ours, that's offensive. We can actually lift them out of poverty if we bolster and enhance OAS. And that's what I'm proposing to do. Well, uh, the question I would have about this is that in our, in, in our policies, we're still at the policy saying that we will fight for uh, universality of OAS. And basically, the question I would have is, if we agree that, uh, that it should be means tested the way it is and you propose to, to reduce the, uh, the level of, uh, of uh, benefits for the higher incomes even more, so to have it more means tested, does that mean that we were wrong to fight Brian Mulroney back in the 80s when he put an end to universality? And so that's and not what I'm proposing. I'm just making it really clear. I understand that. I'm taking OAS and getting rid of Harper era tax credits, these boutique tax credits that were used for the wealthy. Yes, I want to get rid of those tax credits that are used by wealthier folks and put them into OAS, which is a program that's well, universally accepted. That's all people well and like good, program. But, but you it's did say that people that you accept, were gonna... and it's a just program. I want to actually enhance it. Yeah, so but you said you said you can debate that, that and you say were... you don't want to enhance OAS. That's fine. No, no, you said, let's make you the said debate. that you were going to add $70,000 Let's make the debate about the level to be means tested. I was talking to a senior citizen this week who gets clawed back. And that $70,000 is the savings that her and her dead husband save forever. She doesn't spend that money. That's her savings until she's 90. She gets clawed back. You said that that's a fair time. You now. said that that was a fair level. I don't think it that it's a fair level. You said OAS that in debate after debate. should be enhanced. I've said very clearly OAS Would should be enhanced. Would you end the means test? It's just as it exists. The means test. We get along exists, great if you end the means uh, test. As it exists, I'm talking about here enhancing it. I think it. that at the end of the day, what's also really important is maintaining our commitment to universal programs, uh, but also looking at how we're going to tackle poverty. And, and uh, while I am concerned about uh, the proposal in front of us, I think it's also really important that we talk about tax reform. Uh, our campaign is for the boldest policy on tax reform, uh, finally making the rich and corporations pay their fair share. And of course, uh, sourcing revenue to be able to pay for the kind of universal programs that we need, like free tuition, pharmacare, dental care. Thank you very much, Nikki Ashton. Guy Caron, you support bringing in a basic national income as a top-up to already existing provincial programs. What's to stop the provinces from clawing back their own programs and sticking the federal government with an even higher tab? Well, what I'm asking the provinces for this is to ensure that they have the same level of, of uh, uh, social programs, that they will not be increasing tuition fees to take advantage of this. And this is the only way that basic income can work. The reason why I'm so for basic income is that it provides a solution to tackle poverty immediately. It provides a, a solution also to fight the, the challenges of the future, such as, for example, automation of our uh, economy and also the, the transition that we'll need to do towards renewables. But I'll need to actually have the provinces on board to ensure that we are 
playing, we, we are playing with a, a level playing field and that they will not be reusing the level of, of support because if they do, it will not work. In that case, if eventually they, they, they want to move in that direction, we'll make sure that they, they are not because it's the, uh, it, it's the way that we can actually uh, ensure that this can come to work. Okay. Do you, wouldn't, wouldn't you say, though, that, that given the challenges of our time, uh, many people are talking about the need to invest in key priorities like tuition-free education, like pharmacare, like dental care. But Absolutely. in the case of your plan, you've uh, identified that any funding accrued from raising taxes to go to basic annual income, I, I, uh, which is only part of the equation. There are so many other priorities that would, again, uh, the poverty. Yeah, the advantage of, of basic income compared to what you're proposing, and I fully agree that we need to move towards uh, uh, more money in healthcare, education, and moving towards free tuition, but I can actually work on basic income without having to negotiate with provinces. It can, can be done with the first NDP budget, and we can ensure that it will be done to, uh, to, to ensure that there will be a top-up for the revenues of all those who are under the level of poverty. If we can take all the income that they are making, if they work part-time or if they work full-time, even with minimum wage, they can't even get to the level of poverty. And the federal government can actually help to reach them to that level. If they are under the level of poverty with social programs the way that they have right now, we can top it up with the federal government, with the tax system, to ensure that they will get uh, over the level of poverty. So it's easy to do, rather than moving towards lengthy negotiations with the provinces to get to the point that you're talking about, because moving towards free tuition, moving towards uh, more investments in, in social programs in, in healthcare, for example, will take negotiations of two, five, ten years. I can move towards. But there are priorities that people are uh, they, calling for: they, pharmacare, dental care. They're they not are. talking, uh, uh, you know, theoretical things. It's people that you know are saying we really need to invest in these kinds of programs. Well, okay. Gee, I, I think that the plan makes a lot of sense, and I, I proposed uh, a guarantee for seniors, a basic income guarantee for seniors for Canadians living with disabilities as well as the working poor to ensure that those who need it most are, are assisted right away mm -hmm. and then maybe we could look at how we can expand it. I want, I want to be able to have a basic income for everyone, not just targeted to a few target audiences. I'm sorry. Everyone who is under the level of poverty deserves it. We are cutting your mics off because you're over time. But if you're just joining us, you're listening to a HuffPost Canada NDP leadership debate. This next section, uh, we are introducing a, well, it's kind of a special guest section. Um, Avi Lewis, obviously, is a filmmaker and the co-author of The Leap Manifesto, and he has a question for you. Avi, please go ahead. Hi there. My question is about uh, defense spending. No, it's not. I'm here to talk about The Leap Manifesto, of course. So as, as I'm sure everyone here... <laughs> as I'm sure everyone here knows, The Leap is a nonpartisan initiative calling on every politician in every jurisdiction in this country to adopt a set of 15 political demands that would put Canada on a fundamentally different course in a massive hurry. And as you may recall, NDP delegates at the convention in Edmonton last year voted to debate the Leap Manifesto at the riding level. I know because there are still scorch marks on various parts of my body from that experience. Now, the resolution had a lot more to it than that, and most Canadians have never heard what the party actually voted for. So what I wanted to do was read you what the party committed to in Edmonton and ask you if, agree, if you agree. So it's a yes, no question. This could be the, Althea, this could be the fastest round in debate history. All right, ready? This is what the party voted for. 
The NDP recognizes and supports the LEAP Manifesto as a high-level statement of principles that speaks to the aspirations, history, and values of the party. We recognize and embrace the opportunity to confront the twin crises of inequality and climate change with an inspiring and positive agenda to transform society as we transition to an economy beyond fossil fuels. The specific policies in the manifesto can and should be debated and modified on their own merits according to the needs of various communities in different parts of the country. But the goal of transforming our country according to the vision in the manifesto is in harmony with the core beliefs and tradition of the NDP. So do you agree? Your choices are yes, no, or you could prevaricate and try to bob and weave. So Charlie Angus is the first. You, Avi might want a yes or no question, but you have 45 seconds if you choose to use it all. Well, I, I don't know if I need 45 seconds. I am totally in agreement with what passed in Edmonton. I was there. And I think what's really important about that is about this conversation with communities. And I've said the same thing on Vancouver Island, and I've said it with energy workers in Edmonton. This conversation is, is the crucial conversation of our time, but it has to include. We have to get out into rural Canada. Uh, I was meeting with energy workers in Alberta who are already pre preparing the new future. I think this conversation belongs with the New Democrats, but it's not only for New Democrats. This is the question, this is the conversation for our nation, and this is the conversation for our planet. And what better place to begin than in the party that represents blue-collar workers and urban environmentalists, the, you know, the green and, and, and the hard hats. This is our party. This is our issue. Check me Singh. There's really no debate. If you asked all sorts of New Democrats, you said, hey, let's raise your hands if you agree that we need to tackle climate change in a serious way, every New Democrat's hand would go up. If you asked them, do you want to build a sustainable economy with jobs not just in the next five or ten years, but jobs of the future, every New Democrat would raise their hand. In terms of achieving environmental justice, we're all committed to it. And we know that we can't achieve environmental justice unless we have economic justice, that workers are transitioned. There's really no debate. We all know that we need to tackle climate change right now. We all know that we need to ensure that there's economic justice right now. Workers can't be left behind. Nikki Ashton. Yeah, well, I definitely agree. And I uh, supported the motion at convention. Uh, and what I've said uh, since the beginning of this leadership race is that this is an opportunity for the NDP to put forward a vision, a vision for justice, environmental justice, economic justice, social justice, uh, that reflects the kind of principles that are in the LEAP Manifesto. No question the two big challenges of our time are growing inequality and the threat of climate change. Uh, but one of the things that I think we need to be doing, besides taking principled positions, whether it's on pipelines, uh, whether it's our proposal to put forward a crown corporation that could direct funding uh, towards a carbon-free economy, is also building a movement for change, connecting with activists that feel strongly about uh, tackling climate change, connecting with activists involved in the labor movement, and Sorry, building Nikki a Ashton. Well, thank you, Evie, for having reread the motion because there are so many things that have been said about uh, the, the LEAP Manifesto. So having it perspective again is actually helpful. And what I've been saying uh, across the country is that the LEAP Manifesto has 15 articles and we're talking about a set of principles as well. And we have maybe eight or nine of those principles, those articles that are part of our principles as NDP years. And there is a strong debate that we have right now in this leadership race on the question of fighting climate change and also of the workers and, and being able to save the jobs. And I think this has been a very healthy debate. Uh, there's one article which I'm the, the sole proponent, which is basic, basic income. All in all, with that set of principles and what you, were, you, you brought forth, I'm fully in agreement. 
Avi, do you have a follow-up for one candidate? Well, just for anyone who's got a scorecard, it was Nikki, uh, Charlie, and Guy, yes, and Jugmeet kind of side-skated. Um, but actually, I, I want to ask this question of you, Charlie, just as a follow-up. You spoke passionately at the, at the outset of this evening about democratizing the party, about letting the base lead. Here is the Leap Manifesto resolution passing in Edmonton. The, the boldest, most dramatic uh, incident of the base speaking mm -hmm. and launching a major policy initiative in recent memory, and yet it has been absolutely invisibilized in this entire leadership debate because the party establishment doesn't want to talk about it. Why haven't you guys just talked about it yourselves? You've debated night after night for months now. Well, actually, what I've been finding on, the, on wherever I go, it's we talk about it. We talk about it in every community hall, which is where I want to have this conversation, which has given me so much of the knowledge to speak on this issue. Uh, and I think the issue of environment has been a fundamental question in this leadership debate. But you were so right about the importance of having a democratic movement where a motion like this can actually get on the floor, where we can debate it. Because for too long, I think our party has moved away from uh, debates, being afraid of debates, thinking, well, if we can manage debates and we can limit debates and we but can Charlie, shut down debates. But Charlie, it's been buried. It's been buried in this leadership race, and that's why I'm here to bring it up now. It's the first time it's come up. Huffington uh, 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 Post is the only journalistic outlet that's actually put well, it on the Well, if you were there with us in uh, every place on Vancouver Island, in Edmonton, uh, across Saskatchewan, this is a conversation. This is our conversation. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you very much. Evans. Shall I sit down now? Yes, please. I better. <laughs> okay, switching gears completely. The issue of religious rights in Quebec has become a flashpoint in this leadership race. The legislature there is debating Bill 62, which bans people with face coverings from delivering or accessing government services. This pretty much targets Muslim women who wear a burqa or a niqab. So this next question comes to us via video from a HuffPost Quebec blogger. Hi, my name is Varda Naili and I'm from Montreal, Quebec. An important part of my faith is wearing my niqab. And I'm worried about Bill 62 because I think it threatens my rights and my dignity by asking me to unveil my face in public when I receive a service. I have no problem identifying myself when it's necessary, but I think that if applied, Law 62 will cause me to live humiliating situations. As a citizen Canadian, I would like to know, if you were elected, what would you do to protect my rights and my dignity? You have 45 seconds to answer Warda's question, and we'll begin with Gikaho. Thank you very much. Uh, as I stated repeatedly before, I, I do oppose government's uh, ability to uh, tell a man or a woman what to wear or not to wear. And in that sense, I do oppose Bill 62. Now, uh, I do believe it's important as a party to recognize that there is a debate that's happening in Quebec about the place of religion and the state, otherwise known as secularism, for histor historical reasons. And as a party, we have three choices. We can either hide our head in the sand and, and hope that the, the issue will go away, or we can just, from Ottawa, tell Quebec, you have no right to discuss this, you have no right to legislate on this, or we can actually try to build the bridges between that debate on secularism and the importance of, of freedom of religion. And this debate is taking place within the, the confines of two charters, char the Quebec Charter and the Canadian Charter. And I'm what sorry. I'm saying is that we need to ensure that we have this respectful debate and we build those bridges. Thank you. Charlie Angus, your turn. Well, I personally don't trust any politician to tell a woman how to dress. The question for our, uh, our 
uh, our person who asked the question, she's a citizen of Quebec. This is about uh, jurisdiction in Quebec, about the delivery services under the provincial government. And citizens of Quebec who oppose uh, legislation can participate in it, they can have a debate. And if they believe that issues affect their basic rights, Quebec has actually two levels of protection. One is the Quebec Bill of Rights, which is extremely strong, and the second is the Canadian Charter. And that's where these issues should be debated. Uh, there's no jurisdictional position for the federal government here. Nikki Ashton? So first off, I want to thank the blogger about what this experience means to her. Um, I've made it very clear, I've been a feminist uh, activist for a long time, uh, that no one should be able to tell a woman or anybody how they should dress. Uh, we must also be clear about the need to protect the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. In terms of Bill 62, uh, I certainly hope, like many others, that, uh, that the Quebec National Assembly will respect uh, women's individual rights and, and people's religious rights. Uh, that are uh, protected through the Quebec Charter, as well as the uh, federal charter. And, uh, and certainly that's, uh, that's the way I hope that things will go forward. Okay, Jagmeet Singh. Well, you've heard some great consensus here. Uh, as New Democrats, we all believe in supporting the individual rights and freedoms of all people, supporting people's human rights. This question, though, uh, is specifically well-equipped to be dealt with by Quebec. Quebec has actually a phenomenal charter of rights and freedoms that actually delineates a, a, a host of issues in terms of what could not be discriminated against. It's a very strong piece of legislation, and I'm confident that the laws that exist in Quebec, as well as the open-minded, open-spirited people of Quebec and the Quebec society, will protect the freedoms that all people should enjoy. We also have uh, rights in other provinces that support these individual freedoms, and I'm confident that we'll be able to move forward. In 2013, when Quebec was discussing under the Parti Québécois the uh, Charte des Valeurs, your leader, Thomas Mulcair, said that the NDP would take up the case of anybody who lost their job because of that case. I'm going to ask you a basic yes or no question. Is that something that you, as leader, would be prepared to do if, say, Warda was denied the right or had to unveil herself in order to take the bus? We're going to start with you, Jagmeet Singh. So I fundamentally believe in individual, free individual freedoms yeah. and human rights. Yes or no? Uh, and so I would support anyone's right to be able to challenge this legislation. But would you fund this court case, as Mr. Mulcair had suggested? Well, there's existing mechanism that exists, and I would support any existing mechanism to challenge the legislation. I'm going to say that's no. Nikki Ashton. I would support, certainly support a court challenge. I mean, we do have the uh, court challenges program uh, as well. And, uh, you know, I'm, I as mean, whether it's in Quebec or across the country, it's, uh, just, it's obviously the right. Just, just a yes or no. Well, I think what's clear is that people have the right to take something to court and we can support that. Okay. Charlie Angus? Well, I didn't know that anybody was being fired by what's being negotiated right now, so that's a Nobody's, hypothetical. No, yeah. So Mama Angus didn't raise her boy to, to, to answer Huffington Post hypotheticals. Simple answer. All right. Boo. Guy Caron. I, I do trust Quebecers to make the right decision on the charters of values. Quebecers said no to it. So I would believe that Quebecers will discuss it among themselves. I can't personally be opposed to it, which is, which is what I said. I don't think Ottawa has to tell Quebec exactly okay. what to do in their we'll own We'll write you down for a note, too. Um, our audience here, who's reacting, love it, uh, is mostly students from Ryerson University, York University, and the University of Toronto. Several of them have questions for you. Uh, you will have 45 seconds to answer this question. Please go ahead. Um, hi there, my name is Jeremy, um, and I'm a student at the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. Um, as a student who is nearing graduation, I'm increasingly thinking about how best to prepare myself for the economy of the future. 
So what would you do as Prime Minister to ensure that we are adequately prepared for jobs lost to automation? Jagmeet Singh, you're first. Well, one of the first things we need to do is acknowledge that that is a reality, particularly with uh, the transportation sector. That's going to be happening something, something very soon. We know that automated vehicles are going to happen. So what we can do is ensure that there's, that there's transition plans, uh, create the, the climate for future entrepreneurship and innovation, which means ensuring that our access to the internet is something that's like a public service, as well as ensuring that we electrify the entire country with a national grid to ensure that we have access to clean and green energy to provide the climate for building up uh, a sustainable future. Icky Ashton. Yeah, well, I would say uh, you know, part of this uh, issue is the need to fight for good jobs in our communities. Uh, we do need to be uh, uh, taking on automation in the sense that, uh, uh, yes, while some of it is, is uh, contributes to um, better working conditions and, and uh, uh, sort of the final product, uh, a lot of it is being done to increase prop profit margins for CEOs and to further marginalize workers. Uh, and so I would say we need to look at taxation, we need to look at regulation, we need to look at working with labor movements, war fighting, uh, the way in which automation is taking away good jobs. And fundamentally, we need to be fighting for good jobs against precarious work. Uh, and there are many ways to do that, and I'm proud that our campaigns talked about that from the beginning. Charlie Angus. Well, number one, we have to end interest on student debt immediately, and that's something that the federal government can do. Number two, we have to go right at precarious work. The number one exploiter of precarious <laughs> The number one precar exploiter precarious work is the federal government, where they're paying people $11.40 an hour with degrees like yours to do research in uh, national defense. That's got to end. Uh, number three, we are giving billions to large corporations who ship the jobs to Mexico, we have to reinvest with a new economy that we're building at the grassroots, we're building sustainable, livable cities where we're using the experience of this generation through cooperatives and grassroots economies. We have to put that money on the ground now. Automation might very well be the future and we have to adapt to it, which is why I proposed basic income. It's a way to be able to alleviate the adaptation that we'll need to do towards, uh, towards automation. There's been some suggestions that we should tax robots, but it's not all about robots. It's also about artificial intelligence. So we'll eventually need to tackle this, this issue and we need to address a future that might, in which we might very well have a lot less jobs available than people who are already willing and able to, 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 to take them basically. So what we'll need to do in the future is to rethink our relationship with work, uh, rethink our, our whole uh, frame of mind in which people who are working are contributing to the economy and those who are not are not. And, and, and that will require some, some serious thought. This is where we need to go and no, no other party than the NDP will do it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jeremy. Well, the NDP stands for New Democratic Party and it traces its roots to 1932 when it started under the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation. It's probably best known for spearheading public health care, but you might be surprised what some people think of when they think NDP. Take a look. When I hear NDP, I kind of think of changes. We like their party caught in the middle. Him is best bet, but are often overlooked, unfortunately. I have no clue. <laughs> a party that's for the people? Um, nothing really. I don't really know anything about them. The unions. A lot of new perspectives on things, but it also on the, not bad side, but on the other side, it would be maybe they need a bit more experience. I mean, progressive. Another thing that's came up 
recently is that thing with, uh, what's his name again? Is his name Harmon Singh or something like that? Or? In 2017, I can only think of Jigmeet Singh. Something I don't know much about it actually. More helpful towards the people with the with the fiscal issues and problems. Jack Layton, actually, I was a huge fan of Jack Layton, but other than that, not a whole lot. <laughs> Some interesting answers there. Um, so, as you know, millennials are going to be the largest voting bloc in the 2019 election, and in the last election in 2015, young voters were credited with playing a large part of giving the Liberals a majority government. So in that vein, we have a questioner here. Hi. You have 45 seconds to answer this question. Hi, my name is Natasha. I also go to the Monk School of Global Affairs. And my question is, in your opinion, what is the most important policy from your platform which you feel will help rebuild the NDP movement, especially among young voters? Charlie Angus, you're first. Well, um, this is why the issue of democratizing the base, of actually making people feel they're part of a political movement and they're not just hit up for donations once in a while. Because young people have to start to drive this movement, which is why the issue of us going into Parliament this fall and calling on Justin Trudeau to say, hey, you give interest-free loans to CEOs all the time. Why are you not giving interest-free loans to students? That can happen, but that will only happen if we have the grassroots organizing with students pushing MPs across the country. So that connection between the grassroots and the need to get young people's voices heard in Parliament can start this fall, and I intend to make it happen. Nikki Ashton. Well, first, I'll say uh, thank you for the attention to being given to millennials. Uh, my generation, we're facing uh, inequality, the likes we've never seen before in our country. Our generation and those uh, coming after us will have to deal with climate change in a very serious way. Uh, and, and what we're saying and what we've said in this campaign is that it's not just about one policy. It's about a vision for fundamental change and making it clear that the status quo has brought us to this point. And what we need uh, is a bold, progressive vision, things like free tuition, like making millionaires and billionaires pay their fair share of taxes, like putting forward public ownership, like standing up to big oil, like calling out for gender justice and racial justice and saying that, again, status quo won't cut it. We need fundamental change. Thank you. Jagmeet Singh? So I think there's a, there's a host of issues that matter. Um, I also double down on the idea that Debt is crushing and getting rid of interest on debt is a fundamental starting point. Uh, I also know that climate change is something that young folks care a lot about. The issue to me, I think that would fundamentally shift the landscape and would help us tackle social justice, economic justice, and just build a better democracy is electoral reform. That would fundamentally change the landscape of our democracy in Canada. It would give people a voice and it would be, it would be a powerful way it would be a powerful way to change our democracy so that people actually have a voice. Young people's voice is actually represented in Parliament. I think that's a powerful way. It should be said that the last debate he said he would be adopting my plan for electoral reform, so that's a good point. And I put it out there now. Thank you. Uh, uh, one thing I learned about this campaign, though, and I found it really interesting, is that millennials are no longer interested in teams. They don't want to be part of the orange team or the blue team or the red team, and this needs to be acknowledged. What matters, by and large, I mean, it's not unanimous, but it's, it's a large component, is that they want to attach themselves to issues. They want to attach themselves to personalities, people that they will feel are authentic <coughs> and will, will really be driving their, uh, their priorities. I do believe that base income has that potential, that potential for the future to address the issue of economic insecurity, but also to address the challenges of the future, such as automation, for example. Thank you. Thanks, Natasha. OK, we're going to try this again. This is a lightning round. Please 
be succinct with your questions, uh, your answers oh. rather, to my questions. So you have 15 seconds maximum to answer. After that, we will cut your mic. <laughs> you ready? So we're going to go left to right with a new candidate each round. Two Canadian firms were recently in the news for selling armored military vehicles to Saudi Arabia, a country with a widely criticized human rights record. Should Canada have an arms industry? Yes or no? Nikki Ashton. Mm. Well, I would say in this case, uh, certainly uh, we need uh, uh, to put an end to the Saudi arms deal. Uh, I think it's also important to uh, invest in manufacturing uh, that saves lives rather than uh, puts people's lives at risk. Charlie Angus. We should be selling no arms to any country with a dodgy human rights record like the House of Saud. We should be having an oversight committee to make sure that there's no arms going into any conflict zones anywhere in the world. Jack Meet Singh. Uh, building machinery and equipment that helps protect our, our nation or our boundaries or borders. Yes, uh, tra trade agreements with countries that violate uh, human, rights, uh, human rights. No. Human rights are a condition uh, under which we sell or not to countries such as Saudi Arabia. We're just not respecting the rules that we have in place right now. So there is no way that we can deal with countries that have no respect for human rights. Uh, and we should be signing on, on treaties such as the Small Arms Treaty. All of you start your speeches in Ottawa, acknowledging that Parliament sits on unceded Algonquin territory. Will you return the land to the Algonquins? Charlie Angus. I ran blockades for the Algonquin people in the Laverandri Park and up uh, th through Temiskaming. Uh, this has always been their territory, and the respect and working with Algonquins is where I learned all my political lessons. But would you return the land? Well, I would certainly give the Senate. Definitely, we'll. We'll turn the Senate over. I mean, we need to, you know, what are you case, asking? So, in yeah. 15 seconds, are we going to give the city of Ottawa or are we going to sit down and build a nation-to-nation -nation relationship? That is not a yes or no answer. That's how do we build a nation-to-nation -nation relationship with respect. And that's about negotiating and that's about making sure that those voices are heard. So, that, yeah, I'm going to be there. Okay, this is an ongoing court case. So I'm just going to add some background to that. Your turn, Jagmeet Singh. Kind of like, I like Charlie's answer there. Is that really good? <laughs> kind of like, I'll cover. Can I, can I like that answer? <laughs> uh, no, I think it makes sense. We've got to develop a nation-nation agreement with, uh, with all nations, and that sounds like uh, the approach that we should take. Something Nation-to-nation relationship should not be just paid lip service. It, it, those words have meaning. And honestly, in many instances, nations are ready to assume self-governance, to be autonomous, and we should be doing every uh, effort to actually accommodate them and to negotiate in good faith to allow that self-governance and autonomy. Nikki Ashton. I think it's really important to acknowledge the unceded territory, not just the Algonquins in Ottawa, but of other nations across the country. And of course, uh, to stop fighting First Nations in court, but rather uh, sit down uh, and, uh, and work in partnership on a nation-to-nation -nation basis. Thank you. Citing free speech, the NDP, federally and provincially in Ontario, supported the BDS movement on student campuses. BDS, we already discussed, being the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement uh, to um, protest against Israel's occupation of Palestinian territories. Um, do you think groups that promote white nationalist, white nationalist thought or bigotry should also be allowed to have voices on campus in the name of free speech? Yes or no? Jagmeet Singh. Uh, so, okay. Hate speech, no. Uh, absolutely no. Unequivocally no. Uh, People can have opinions that I don't agree with, that maybe we don't agree with, absolutely should. There's a very clear legal definition between hate speech, which is completely unacceptable, and people having opinions which are regressive, uh, unacceptable, backwards, but they should have a freedom to express it. 
We have legislation against aid, full speech, uh, against aid speech, and I fully agree with that legislation. So, if it's if what's being said is included in the confines of that definition, no, it shouldn't be allowed. And I want to allow as large, uh, a wide range of opinions as possible as well, but not when it breaks the law. Nikki Ashton. Yeah, there's no question there can be zero tolerance for hate speech. I mean, look at the times that we live in. Uh, we need leaders, whether it's on campuses or in politics, uh, uh, denouncing it and and, uh, and and not allowing it. Uh, and also, I'm concerned about Andrew Scheer's uh, proposals on that front. And the NDP needs to be clearly opposed. Charlie Angus. A Nazi is a Nazi is a Nazi. I'm sorry. I come from a long line of Nazi fighters. My uncles fought them all through Europe. Why would we pretend that people who pr propose white supremacy and their racial solidarity have any right on any campus anywhere. Absolutely not. Should individuals with private corporations be allowed to limit their taxes by sprinkling income to family members who don't do real work for their company? <laughs> yes or no, Guy Caron. No, uh, I think what's being done right now is clear. I've, I've been fighting, I've been having one of the most aggressive tax reform package. What my fear about this is the, the implementation. CRA is cannot be trusted to apply it judiciously to actually penalize those who don't pay, pay their fair share. And, and I'm, af I'm afraid that they might be penalizing those who Thank are you. Doing things already. Thank you. Nikki Ashton. Yeah, they, they shouldn't be able to do that. I mean, obviously, this is a reflection of the Liberal uh, tax proposal. I think what's also clear, though, is that the Liberals are not going after the biggest tax cheats, uh, closing the stock option loophole, and uh, upping the corporate tax rate, which are things that we've called for in our campaign. Charlie Angus. Well, my daughters are students. They get audited like three times a year for the minimal amount of money they make. Uh, CRA can go after them, but they can't go after tax cheats. They can't go after the tax frauds that are hiding out in the Cayman Islands. Uh, they can't tell the difference between income sprinkling and, and what are, may be legitimate businesses. Uh, it's not acceptable. So we, we will look at these and we will make sure people Thank you. Jagmeet Singh. No. Uh, we also need to make sure that there is an understanding of the realities of farmers, which are in a little bit of a different situation. Uh, but most importantly, look what's not on the table. The massive amount of wealth that's being hidden in tax havens, the massive amount of inequality that the government's allowing to continue, that shows a complete lack of priority to the real issues that are facing Canada. Thank you. The Liberals plunged the country into what looks like decades of deficits. Should the NDP chart a course back to balance? Yes or no? Nikki Ashton. Mm. Well, I would say that we made a mistake in the last election by committing to a balanced budget at all costs. Uh, you can go into deficit and, and uh, generate uh, uh, wealth. Uh, and, uh, and, and unfortunately, though, the Liberals are doing it in the wrong way. They're privatizing our assets. They're supporting free trade deals that are going to kill more Canadian jobs. Uh, we need to reprioritize the Thank revenues you. that we have Charlie towards Angus. our priority. We made a terrible mistake of saying we're going to go in without seeing the books and balance it in the first year. I mean, that was incredible. Uh, you invest to build a, an economy and to build a country, but you also have to be able to pay for it. And this is why you need long-term planning. You need to know what you're doing. And you don't be doing gifts and friend, to friends and insiders like this infrastructure private bank. Thank you. Jagmeet Singh. Deficits to build up social infrastructure and social programs, absolutely, I believe in that. We need to do that. Uh, deficits to allow corporations, wealthy individuals, to continue to exploit the, an unfair tax system, no, that's not acceptable. Charlie Angus. Uh, Charlie uh, Angus. Kika, uh, I'm just <laughs> Coming. I, I do agree that uh, we made a mistake by promising a balanced budget every single year. But Liberals promised 
basically small deficits to invest in infrastructure. Now they have 28 billion in deficit with very little to show for it. If we are going to the deficit, we have to do it in terms of helping the economy and helping our society as well, which liberals haven't done. Thank you. This question comes to us from Facebook, from Thomas Evers. He would like to know, as leader, what is the highest price ticketed fundraiser that you would allow yourself to attend? Charlie Angus. I think the most I've ever attended was 100 bucks, and it killed me. <laughs> Wait, so your question is what we would attend? Or what we would What would you charge people to come? How, how much money would you be accessible for? I've said so far I've done 1550 maximum donations is what is allowed to be accepted. I haven't set a limit to what's, uh, what people can pay at events, but I think whatever fits within the laws we should be able to do. Unfortunately, money is part of politics right now. It's not a matter of how much we can charge. We can have an event at $100. If we have 19 events for free that allow people to actually access us, and we have one event with $100, I mean, I think the excess is the important part of it, and I want to be as accessible as possible. Nikki Ashton. Yeah, I don't believe in cash for access. Uh, we've had uh, fundraising uh, events where we made it clear that all are welcome, and obviously fundraising is is uh, the goal. So, so certainly contributions are, are welcome as well. I'm proud of the uh, small donor culture of our campaign. People are giving what they can because of, because they believe in what we're fighting for. Sorry. So obviously we're cutting your mics just because you're over that going over that 15 second because we're trying to be rude. Last question of the lightning round. When was the last time you smoked marijuana? Jagmeet Singh. Well, I mean, I would love to give it like a trailblazing answer right now, but I just don't do any drugs. I haven't drank or smoked in my life, so never. Uh, university. Uh, I wasn't an economist, unlike what Charlie thinks, at the university I was in communications. Uh, I just never took a like into it. Uh, to be honest, it actually gives me headaches, so. Yeah. Nikki Ashton. Well, I'll say that where I come from, uh, there's a lot of people that smoke marijuana and I do a lot of door knocking and, and uh, well, hanging out with friends. So if that counts uh, uh, secondhand smoke, then maybe more recently than, uh, um, than, than a long time ago. Oh, <laughs> Charlie Angus. Well, I toured many years with the band, uh, but I was... <laughs> but I know you guys aren't going to believe me, but I was the one who actually had to make sure they got to the, the, the gig, so I didn't really smoke pot. They did. But uh, so when was the last time? Probably in northern Alberta at, at a gig once, which I don't really like it. I don't get much fun out of it. Okay, this next round, I think you know it well, question period, basically you get to pick a rival, ask them a 30 second question, they have a 30 second response, you have a 15 second follow up, and a 30 second response back to your question. We start with Charlie Angus. You Can get I ask to pick you a, a rival. Oh, sorry. Um, well, Nikki, I want to ask you about uh, the issue of student debt because you have championed it and we've drawn a lot of attention and excitement. Uh, and this fall, we're going back into Parliament. And I think that this issue will resonate with, with our voters and with young people. Do you have any plans that we could start to move on it immediately this fall to push this government on the issue of student debt? Absolutely. Well, I think first off that uh, we need to remove the uh, uh, federal interest rates on, uh, on uh, Canada's student loans right away. Uh, our campaigns also proposed uh, upping the, uh, uh, the minimum income to $50,000 as to when people will have to start uh, paying back. Uh, debt right now it's at twenty five thousand, which is totally unacceptable. Uh, but I think we need a long term vision for free tuition, recognizing that we should not be indebting a generation for simply getting an education. 
Well, I, I want to add to it, though, because the issue with universities and the whole corporatization of universities and, and professors being treated as temp staff um, while racking up the costs on students, how do we actually start to take that on through the work that we do in Parliament? That's a great point. I mean, I think uh, we need to be, I mean, precarious work is alive and well on, on campuses. Meant um, much of that work being done by students uh, as well. Uh, and we need to make sure that there's direct federal investment, sustained investment of secondary act. Jack Singh. Thank you. Question is to Guy. Yes. Uh, the gender wage gap in Canada is appalling. Women make 30% less than men. Uh, women of color, 35%, and Indigenous women, 40% less than men. As NDP leader, I would fight to strengthen pay equity laws, enforcement laws, laws that provide leaves for family caregivers, survivors, and laws that facilitate unionizing. What's your plan to address this serious issue of pay equity? Well, it's, uh, we have to acknowledge that we can control at the federal level what's under federal jurisdiction, right? So we can't, uh, we can't implement on uh, legislation for provincial uh, labor, but what I'm looking for and the direction I would be taking is what, what happened in Iceland. Iceland became the first country to actually legislate pay equity, not regulate, not create some, some elements that will provide incentive to go in that direction, but really legislate and we need to move in that direction because honestly we've been fighting through the courts for so long, uh, I'm talking about unions, uh, and we still haven't progressed. Uh, I'm also committed to universal public affordable uh, childcare. So childcare is, is always far less than your income. What's your commitment to childcare across Canada? Well, I'm from Quebec, so we have a very successful model in Quebec, uh, which should be a model for the rest of the country. And we had uh, last election uh, the commitment to move towards a mac uh, childcare or daycare at a maximum of $15 a day, which we, we still need to move forwards, uh, forward or towards too. And we need to, to ensure that we can bring provinces on board because the problem we had the last election is when Catherine Wynne came up the bat and say, said basically, I'm not going to deal with an NP government on this issue. This is problematic because the need is there. Thank you. Guy Caron, it's now your turn to pick somebody. I'm going to pick Guy, of course. <laughs> uh, I asked a question during the course of the campaign to Charlie and to Nikki, and they are both opposed to the idea of basic income. Uh, the way I want to, pro to propose it is the progressive model, not the, the model proposed by Kathleen Wynne, but really the progressive model that will top up and ensure that no one in the country will be under uh, the poverty level. So I'd like to know where you stand on this, this issue of basic income and my proposal, the way I brought it, which is the progressive case. Yeah, I think it's important to highlight that you have brought the progressive case. There's been arguments that there's some folks that are proposing this, this plan and it would erode universal social programs, which you've not talked about, which is of course mm -hmm. very new democratic of you. Um, I've talked about basic income guarantees for seniors, uh, uh, for Canadians living with disabilities and for those who are living in poverty. So I believe in this idea. I want to achieve something that's attainable right away, but I, I think I, I like the direction that you're headed. Mm -hmm. Well, right away is something we can do with basic income. It could be achieved in the first budget of an NDP government, and yes, it will address people with disabilities and it will address also seniors, ensuring that no senior or no person with disability would, would be under the poverty level. So what would stop us to actually be able to implement it in a way that would guarantee that no citizen of this country would be under the level of poverty and will be able to, to contribute to the society? Uh, no, I think there's a lot of merit to it, and that's why I've always said I think your plan has a lot of merit. Uh, I propose a plan that we can achieve that's within, in terms of we can, we can see our way to achieving it very quickly in terms of the, the tax changes that we can make to achieve it. I propose a progressive tax agenda that pays for this basic income guarantee that I'm looking at. I think it's achievable, but I also like what you're proposing. 
Okay, Nikki Ashton. So my question is to Jagmeet. Jagmeet, as you know, of course, the NDP faces some real challenges. We need to build a movement long-term. The key to winning is, uh, in government is, is building that movement right from right now. Our campaign is committed to doing that. You've declared a few times that you're going to win and that it's already a done deal. But I'm thinking that that's, uh, uh, that kind of a statement is premature and disrespectful of the members. I'd like to hear your thoughts. No, I think that all of us are running to win, and I think you have to be confident about winning. I think that people have uh, counted me out, saying that how can an MPP from the province win at a federal stage? How can Canada have someone that looks like me in, in a leadership position? So I have to be confident. It's something that I don't have the luxury not to be. And I think many people are hoping that someone can look that, uh, that is different from the traditional view of a leader and that can achieve that. Sure. I mean, as a woman in politics, you know, I don't I need to take lessons about confidence in, in politics either. Uh, but my question as well to you is you've refused to commit to saying whether you'll run if you lose this leadership race. Will you commit to the federal NDP and to run no matter what the result of this leadership is? I wasn't uh, presuming to teach you anything. I was just answering your question, so I don't mean to say that at all. Um, I'm absolutely going to run because I'm absolutely going to win, so I will definitely run uh, federally. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Uh, standing up right now is Ryan Maloney, HuffPost Canada's senior politics editor. You will have 45 seconds to answer Ryan's question. Please go ahead. It's great to be with you here tonight. Um, New Democrats have called on the Liberals to speak out uh, more uh, on uh, U.S. President Donald Trump on a range of issues, perhaps most notably on the travel ban that targets Muslim-majority nations and recently his, uh, his efforts to bar transgender soldiers from the military. Your current leader, Tom Mulcair, has called Donald Trump a fascist, and he said so in the House of Commons. And I'm curious where, you're, where you fall on that. Do you agree that, uh, that the President of the United States is a fascist? Well, uh, I, I do believe that he's gone where no other president has gone before. And I do believe that we have to stand up for Canada and we have to, 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 to tell the U.S. and tell the president where we disagree. So I'm, I'm all in favor of, of basically stating in the instances that you, you mentioned or even in what happened today when we, we, we learned that the, the duties will be imposed on Bombardier, that we disagree with the U.S. and that we uh, we have to do so, and uh, and basically, yes, uh, we we have very different uh, directions that we are taking right now, and we have to stand up for what we believe in. Nikki Ashton, I think it's really important that we denounce uh, Trump's uh, politics and and uh, I mean his promotion of white supremacy. Uh, his support for white supremacist groups is totally unacceptable. Uh, I mean, this is fascism uh, in in real time. Uh, and, uh, and I'm very disappointed that Justin Trudeau has not been denouncing uh, Trudeau's, uh, uh, or pardon me, Trump's approach on a number of, of these issues. Uh, we're seeing the way in which it's dividing uh, communities. It's, it's uh, certainly uh, marginalizing uh, so many people in the U.S., African-Americans, Muslims, uh, the LGBTQ community, uh, women, and uh, we can't stand by and just keep talking about a positive relationship. We need to step up and denounce hate. Charlie Angus. Well, when you see Donald Trump defending white supremacists in Charlottesville and attacking athletes of color and demanding they be fired, we've got a fundamental problem and it needs to be called out. The role of our Prime Minister is to protect Canadian interests and to speak about the international rule of law. And when 
Muslims and people of color are being turned back at the U.S. border and afraid to cross over for uh, medical appointments <laughs> or for work. Uh, our Prime Minister has to be there to say this is wrong and call them out because America has to follow the international rule of law and we have to maintain good relations with the Americans but we cannot uh, kowtow to the kind of abuse that that man is putting out. Jack Right after Mr. Trump's election, I had the chance to speak in Parliament at the provincial level and I said we have to, as Canadians, call out injustice. And so I said what Trump, what Trump did, what Mr. Trump did was he ran a campaign that was misogynistic, that was divisive, that was Islamophobic, that was xenophobic, and that's wrong. It's unacceptable. And we need to be able to call that out. I think Canadians expect our leaders to be able to do that. It's, it's incumbent on us to use our position to champion justice calling out white supremacy when we have a, a president that's actually endorsing it and supporting it is unacceptable. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Please help me understand your view of Canada's military role abroad. As Prime Minister, would you deploy Canadian forces in combat support operations in Iraq to fight ISIS? Are there any missions abroad right now, peacekeeping or otherwise, that you think Canada should be involved in? We'll start with you, Jack Meetson. So I think our role should be peacekeeping and not uh, in supporting military actions that are further destabilizing countries that are already uh, facing severe difficulties. We've seen every intervention that has happened in the past history has only further destabilized nations. It's not working. Why would we continue to do something that doesn't work? So I don't support uh, those type of interventions. I do support diplomacy and peacekeeping. Charlie Angus. When um, Paul Dewar, uh, our representative at the time, went to Iraq to see what the role Canada should play, they asked us to play a role helping refugees, not to be on the bombing. Uh, Canada has enormous expertise that we should be bringing to bear in international areas of conflict. I will invest in the military to make sure that we can do the role with the United Nations stepping up in a time of increasing uh, global insecurity and violence to re-establish uh, zones of safety for refugees and also to limit uh, the potential for conflict. That's the role of Canada. Well, you can tell me what we're doing in those countries. I mean, we're not supposed to be playing an active part in Iraq, yet we're glorifying <laughs> snipers. Uh, nobody has explained to me what we're doing in Latvia. I mean, other than we have troops there, what, to scare Putin? For what purpose? Like, there is no, there is no uh, debate, proper, proper debate that's taking place in, in Parliament, and us as parliamentarians are kept in the dark. Yes, we should get back into uh, peacekeeping as we used to do. We we're supposed to do that under the Liberals. We're still waiting and we'll be waiting for at least a, another year before maybe moving on to Mali to protect the population there. It makes no sense because right now we, we have no idea why we're engaged in the missions that we are engaged in. Nikki Ashton. Well, I would say that uh, it's critical that Canada be a voice for peace in the world. Uh, engaging in peacekeeping missions ought to be the priority. Uh, I'm very, uh, well, we've come out opposed to the increased military budget put forward by the Trudeau government. And we've said that uh, that money should be spent on saving lives within our own country. Uh, and fundamentally, you know, what I would say is, is that uh, we need to be spending money on supporting veterans. Many came back from uh, even most uh, recent combat missions in Afghanistan were still not getting the support and help that they deserve. Uh, so instead of uh, uh, what I would say, others have said that we can't uh, afford to take care of our veterans, we certainly can't afford to go to war. 
Okay, thank you very much. This next question comes to us from Facebook Live. You have two minutes of open debate to answer. It's from Morna Ballantyne. What are you proposing concretely to advance women's economic equality? What will you say and commit to do to win, to win women's votes from the federal Liberal Party? Free for all. So the first thing we need to do, and Guy talked about this, uh, I talked about it, is addressing the gender gap, the gender wage gap. It's a, it's, a, it's a shame that in 2017 it continues to exist. And we need to not just have pay equity legislation, but pay equity enforcement legislation to ensure that we can enforce this uh, nationwide. It's something that we need to implement. We need to make sure that it exists. We need to make sure that it's enforced. Uh, that's one of the key issues. I think it also is important to talk about universal daycare as a fundamental service that we need to provide publicly, universally, one tier across the country. Uh, other social programs in general, we know that once we uh, add more into social programs, it assists those who are most marginalized. Mm -hmm. So the more we can invest in social programs, will uplift all lives. Well, we, we have so to I look at the structural. That, uh, if we're going to talk about women in Canada today, uh, it can't be with the kind of faux feminism that Trudeau has put forward. Uh, you can't call yourself a feminist prime minister and sell arms to Saudi Arabia or uh, fail to implement pay equity legislation, and the list goes on. Uh, what we need is key commitments to programming. I'm proud to be the only candidate in this race that has put forward an early childhood education program uh, looking at universal public uh, daycare and, uh, and recognizing that that is key to achieving economic justice. We also need to be looking, yes, at KFP. We need to be looking at fighting precarious work that often marginalizes women. Uh, we also need to be looking at ending violence against women, obviously a huge barrier to women being able to achieve economic independence. Uh, we're nowhere near where we need to be on a number of these issues, and, uh, and I believe that uh, the NDP is the only party to put forward uh, these plans. I'm proud that our campaign has done that. We, we have seen in Quebec with uh, the childcare program that we have that it actually increased the level of freedom that we are seeing in families and especially women in being able to participate in working life. So we need to eliminate that barrier. And basic income also provides with the ability of giving more freedom by giving more, more possibilities for, uh, well, for women to participate. I, we also have to make it democratic, which is one of the reasons I put forward a plan in the NDP that we have to really push equity for our candidates so that women are encouraged and women are given the support to run in ridings where we can win. And then we have to take on at the level of the federal government, which is number one exploiter of contract work. Who are suffering most under contracts? It's women. Uh, the federal government refuses to deal with pay equity. We have to start ad addressing putting a gender lens on the issue of precarious work so that we can start to see where women are, have been allowed to fall through time and time and time again and allowing working class women to have the same supports to take time off to have their children that they're denied because working class women do not earn enough money to be able to, to access EI. We have to start dealing with the class issue when we deal with gender. Okay. I've also talked about I'm sorry, ones. we're yeah. definitely out of time for that round. I just, you can bring this out in the hallway after if you want. Um, but that's basically, we've run out of time for the English debate. So I want to give you all a 60 second closing. Um, like with the other question, uh, based on a draw, Nikki Ashton begins. I offer a clear vision, a bold progressive agenda, the politics of the future today. The time for incremental change is over. With growing inequality and catastrophic climate change, we must be bold again. And progressive politics is smart politics. It connects to millennials, women, indigenous, racialized voters, and working people. It starts with reminding ourselves of what it really is all about. 
that we as New Democrats reject the 150 years of liberal and Tory status quo. Tommy Douglas once said, we should never, ever be afraid or ashamed about dreams. Fellow New Democrats, it is time to dream again of building a better Canada and a better world. It starts with electing the first federal NDP government in history in 2019. We can do it together. We can, we must, and we, we will build a movement of social, environmental, and economic justice for all. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki Ashton. Nikki Cajon. The reason why I'm in this race is because of my kids, Edie and Dominic, the one who likes to dance. Uh, and, and the reason is that their, their generation, they themselves and their generation, will actually be worse off than their generation before them, than my generation. This makes no sense in a country so wealthy, as wealthy as Canada. And what makes no sense in a country as wealthy as Canada is the fact that we have six million people living under the level of poverty. Who to blame is easy to find. Liberals and conservatives for the past 30 years said that there was no alternative to privatization, to deregulation, to trade agreements that leave so many workers behind. And what we'll need is fundamental change, fundamental change in, in, in policies. This is why I brought forth the idea of basic income that will ensure that no one will be under the level of poverty, that will ensure that we can address the challenges of the future. We need the tax reform that will ensure that everybody pays their fair share. We need policies on climate justice and on workers first as well. And this is why I propose this. I'm ready to lead and I want you to join me and to work on it together. Thank you. Merci, Caron. Jagmeet Singh. Thank you. As a child, my mother taught me that we're all connected, that when one of us is suffering, we're all suffering. And we, when we lift the people around us, we all rise. That's what drives me. And that's why this race is about who can lead the NDP to win in 2019, because only new Democrats have the courage to tackle inequality, especially income inequality, pay equity, and housing affordability. Only new Democrats have the courage to tackle climate change, to tackle reconciliation and electoral reform. Our team has been organizing to win in 2019. We brought in 47,000 new members into our party, laying the ground to form government. It takes an act of love to realize we're all in this together, and it takes an act of courage to demand better, to dream bigger, and to fight for a more just and inclusive world. Thank you. Thank you. Charlie Angus, you get the last word. Thank you. Well, I didn't own a suit when I ran for politics, and the only reason I ran for politics is because I see what happens when politicians who have our interests uh, and control over our lives who are not representing us but lobbyists. And I fought one of the biggest environmental battles in Canadian history to have justice and to have people at the table making decisions. What we do matters. And I will give you an example. Chantelle Fox, Jolyn Winter, Jenna Roundsky, they're 12 years old and they died because the federal government would not spend the money on children in that community and the federal government was found culpable in their deaths and the federal government is in court fighting that ruling now. In 2017 to have a federal government fighting indigenous children in court is an abomination. I don't care how good those people are and how nice they are. We have to have people in Ottawa who will say enough is enough is enough, who will stand up on the issues of precarious work, who will tackle the issue of the environment, who will say justice has to happen now. We're not going to punt this down the road for another 150 years. That's why what we do matters and that's why what you do matter. I ask you to get active.
That was our NDP leadership debate hosted by HuffPost Canada earlier this week. We'll find out this weekend how successful Nikki Ashton, Charlie Angus, Jagmeet Singh, and Guy Caron have been in convincing party members to vote for them. This is the first, and maybe final, round of results that will be revealed this Sunday in Toronto. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Follow-Up. I'm Althea Raj.